And so throughout these summer months ahead, we are going to be spending every week a chapter in Acts a week throughout the summer um, together as we work through this incredible book. And, and so because of that, we don't have the time here on Sunday mornings to cover every single verse and every single chapter. I wish we did. We don't. So the pastors have, have written some beyond-the-weekend devotionals, we're calling them, that get emailed out to you on Tuesdays and Thursdays every week that cover some of the verses that we don't necessarily get a chance to cover on Sunday morning. So many of you are, are already receiving that email with the devotionals. If you're not and you want them, all you have to do is just take your Connect card on the back of your welcome program, write on that your name, your email, the word beyond or beyond the weekend or BTW or something so that we know you want it and we will get you signed up so you can start getting those immediately. Uh, along with this also, we want to read through the book of Acts together as we go. And so in your welcome program, you'll notice every week there's a little reading plan available to you. Um, that reading plan actually is the week before the message, so that by the time you get to Sunday morning and we're talking about Acts chapter 2, you've already read the passages we're going to be looking at, so you're already ahead of the game. you got to jump start on what's happening. So take advantage of that. The last thing that I would say is, if you could, and if you would, bring your Bibles with you to the church as we go through this book together. If you don't have a Bible of your own, just tell me because I will get you one. In fact, we have some in the racks in the back of this room. You are welcome to use one of ours. If you don't have one of your own, take it with you. I welcome you to do that so that you can be a part of this book with us. So today we're jumping into Acts chapter 2, and because of time, we can't look at all of these verses and so I want to just kind of sum up and skim through the first 35 verses of Acts 2, and then we're going to focus a little heavier on the last few verses. So it's in these first few verses that we see there's these believers in Jesus Christ that are gathered together. Okay, they've come together, and as they did, something amazing is happening among them. In fact, Acts chapter 2 tells us that the Holy Spirit came and gave each of these believers in this group the ability to speak another language. Now, that sounds odd for some, but I tell you this, I have personally not been given the ability to speak in another language. However, with that said, the Holy Spirit's given me some incredible abilities that I don't expect either. For instance, there's been moments I've had conversations with people where he's given me words to say that I, I, didn't, I didn't think about, where he's put things into my head that I, I hadn't previously thought through, that he's given me the power to speak confidently in a hard situation, or he's been given me the grace to speak in a loving way in a moment that I would have normally lost it. The Holy Spirit has given me the power to do those things, and I know he has to you as well. And this with those people in the crowd who weren't Christ followers, this seems crazy. Crazy that, that this is happening. In fact, they didn't understand it. They were bewildered at the fact that the Holy Spirit had given these believers this ability. 
And in fact, this is what it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 13. It says the others in the crowd, those were the unbelievers in the crowd, ridiculed, they mocked, they teased these Christ followers, saying they're just drunk, that's all. And to which Peter, the, the leader of the church, a disciple of Jesus Christ, stands up to confront these, and he says the thing that I think is my favorite thing in all of Scripture. I love this verse. Peter says this. These people aren't drunk, as some of you are assuming. And then he goes, 9 o'clock is much too early in the morning for that. <laughs> I love his response here. He says they're not drunk. These people have been given this, this power, this miracle has taken place, a miracle that those who do not possess the Holy Spirit can't begin to understand what's happening here. These believers are speaking in other languages because there's people from all around coming. Many of them spoke in other languages. And the only way that, they, that these believers could communicate to them was if they spoke in their language. It was for the purpose of communicating the message of Jesus Christ to those around them. It served a powerful purpose. And from there, Peter goes on to speak to these mockers, these ridiculers. And he says this, from the beginning, it was God's plan for Jesus to die on the cross and be raised to life. He says, look, your plan was to destroy Jesus. Your plan was to take him down. Your plan was to get rid of this guy. But I tell you what, God's plan was not defeated. He said it was his plan all along for Jesus to come, to die, to be buried, and to rise again. This was, this was God's plan for the Holy Spirit to be made available to everyone, to those children, women, men, slaves, Jews, Gentiles. It didn't matter. The Holy Spirit could be available to them and is available to us today as well. And Peter declares this boldly. And then he goes on to say, though David was the king of Israel, he knew that Jesus, the Messiah, would come and ultimately reign as king of the world. He says this because human kingdoms fall. Human kingdoms come and go. He says, Jesus' kingdom, God's kingdom, will not go anywhere. It is here for good. He is reigning. He will continue to reign. And nothing in all creation will ever take this down. This is incredible. Peter declares this to the people. Now, I just sped through 35 verses of Acts. So you have some work to do on your own this week, I recognize. But it's the following verse, verse 36, where, that, that I absolutely love. It's a proclamation that was made that changed everything. And Peter ends his message to these people with these powerful words. He says, so... Let everyone in Israel know for certain, I mean, underline, circle that word certain, that, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. He says, look, you did this. You crucified this man, but God made Jesus to be both Lord 
and Messiah. He speaks boldly. He makes this proclamation. And when he does, I love it because these mockers in the crowd, these ridiculers in the crowd, these, these mockers who even mock the disciples for even placing their belief in Jesus as the Messiah, they, these, these mockers, they, they heard Peter's words and the Holy Spirit worked through his words and in their hearts. And as a result, something incredible happens. He goes on to say this. Peter's words pierced their hearts. And then they said to him and the other apostles, brothers, a term of endearment. Their, their hearts changed. Brothers. They said, what should we do? What, should, what do we do now? I mean, Peter's words here, it says pierced their hearts. The meaning of that is, is literally this, this deep emotional response. It's a response of, of remorse. It's a response of, of conviction. It, it's like those moments that you and I can feel when, when suddenly your eyes are open to something you had not seen before and you should have. The moment, the aha moment, that I get it. it it's, it's those moments when, when we finally are able to acknowledge something that we've never acknowledged before and they felt this pain in their chest realizing what they had done, that they had mocked this Jesus who is the Messiah and their, their, their hearts were hurting. It's, it, this deep part of their soul was, was crushed. But this isn't just a feeling of emotions. No, 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 because we all get that. We all get these emotions. We hear a song or we hear a message or something happens that kind of takes us to this place where we're feeling emotional. And then two days later, life gets back to normal. Right? Joe mentioned that. Life, we got work, we got school, we got uh, a family, we got all sorts of crazy stuff that happens. And those emotions, they go away. And when the emotions go away, we just go back to normal. That is not what's happening here in the hearts of these people as they were pierced. There was conviction. Conviction means that there's change. When you are convicted, you stop doing what you were doing and you change past. That is conviction and that is what the Holy Spirit does is he convicts. The Holy Spirit never shames or guilts or belittles. The Holy Spirit convicts, which always drives life change. And when this happened, they asked the question, brothers, what should we do now? What are we supposed to do? Where do we go from here? How do we make this right? Now that we know Jesus is Lord, what's next? And that's my question for us today in this room. Now that we know that Jesus is who he says he is, that he did what he said he did, that he died, was buried, and rose again for the forgiveness of our sins, that Jesus is in fact the Messiah, he is the Savior of the world, he is God, now that we know, without a doubt, what should we do? How, what do we do? Well, Peter makes it clear to the crowd what they should do. And he says this to the crowd. He says, you've got to personally respond to Jesus. Personally. In fact, it's the first part of verse 38 where he goes on to reply this way. He says, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. He says you have to repent of your sins and turn to God. Now, 
If you're a millennial or a Gen Zer in this room, I'm about to blow your mind with something. I want to show you something that you have never seen before in your life. This is an ancient artifact. Are you ready? Here it is. A map. <laughs> this map does not talk to you. It does not change directions. You have to know where you want to get, and you have to figure it out, and then you have to go there and hope you don't turn down the wrong road. And then you have to try to fold this bad boy up and put it back in your glove box. You will never know the pain until you've tried this. But when you went on vacation, you went somewhere, you would pull out your map, you would select your destination, and you would travel down the road. The problem is, without GPS, without Google Maps, without these things, you didn't have the voice in your car saying, redirecting, redirecting. <laughs> I love that feature. But we didn't get that with this. Because you would travel towards your destination, and every once in a while, you'd get turned around. Guys... You'd get turned around. They don't like to admit it, but they would. And, and you have two choices to make here when you're following a map. One, you'd either just keep going down the road you're going, heading in the wrong direction, heading to the destination you weren't planning on going to, or two, you get off the exit, you turn around, you admit, I'm lost. And you start going in the right direction. Those are, those are our two options. And so when Peter says to these people, you must repent of your sins, what he's saying to them is, look, you're heading down the wrong path. You're going away from your destination. You have to stop. You have to admit that I am, I am lost I am not where I need to be. I'm not going where I need to go. And you admit that and you turn around and you get back on the road and you head to the right direction. That is what Peter is saying needs to happen here. And that right direction is heading straight towards Jesus Christ. And when we recognize that we're lost, we can choose to get off at the exit, admit it, turn around and head back. And it's... It's here in this place that we recognize something amazing. That God is there waiting for us with open arms. God doesn't shame us for our past. He doesn't guilt you or belittle you for getting lost. That is not how God operates. No, no, no. Instead, through his death, his burial, and resurrection, he promises us forgiveness. He promises us his love. He promises us a fresh start. He promises us a brand new life. And once we do this, God will begin to direct us on the right path. And we'll finally be heading in the right direction, which is to follow Jesus for the rest of our lives. When you choose this, when you finally admit, I'm going the wrong direction, and you choose to turn and head the right direction toward Jesus, something incredible happens. Something that blows my mind. Peter tells us next, it is then that you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The greatest gift you could ever get from anyone. The gift of the Holy Spirit. His Spirit joins with our spirit, and his spirit leads us into becoming more like 
Jesus. Does that mean you're going to be perfect? No. Will you still make mistakes? Of course you will. But his spirit will be with you, guiding you, directing you, prompting you, pushing you, giving you wisdom, giving you power, convicting you all along the way. It's an incredible gift as we literally become a different person from the inside out. I wonder if you've ever met someone like this, someone that was either at work or family member or whatever, and they were this person. And then all of a sudden, something happened. And you said, they're not the same person anymore. Something's different about them. They've changed They no longer speak like they used to speak. They no longer treat people like they used to treat people. There's something different about them. I tell you what's different about them. The Holy Spirit is different about them, guiding and directing them as they travel toward Jesus in this life. And then Peter goes on to say this in the next two verses. He says, this promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away. He says, that's to everybody. Everyone in this room has this promise. And then he says, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Peter reminds this crowd that that God is calling people to himself. He's calling people. And then he goes on to, to urge them with this strong warning to save yourselves from this crooked generation. Isn't it interesting that whether it's 2,000 years ago or whether it's the year 2022, the message doesn't change. I don't have to convince you that this world is broken and hurting. I don't have to convince you of that because you see it. You experience Isn't that interesting? 2,000 years ago, same message. Different culture, different group of people, same message. Be careful, he says. The, the scary part of all this is when we travel along this path and we may not even realize it. it it's like, you know that, that ride, that, oh, it's my favorite one because I'm lazy, the lazy river. <laughs> you know, you jump in the raft and you just float. And you let it all hang out and you say, see ya, and you just go. You're traveling down this this river that's taking you around a path. You don't fight it. You just let it take you. The the scary part is is that it may be taking us where we don't want to go. I mean, we have our friends and our family. We have social media. We have the news. We have all these people telling us where we should go and how we should think and what we should do. And we just sometimes go along with it without realizing we're even doing it. What Peter's saying here is, I warn you, don't do that. Jump off the raft and fight the current. Go the other way. It takes effort and it takes work, but we need to fight our way towards following Jesus. Don't just float. He says, turn around and go the other direction. And then Peter ends his message and something incredible happens when these people in the crowd, they hear this message, the Holy Spirit's working, they're convicted, they're making life changes, all this stuff is happening. And then it says this, that those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 and all. Can you imagine you imagine what's happening in this place? These people, the church, this new thing is exploding. 
It's powerful. These people that mocked Jesus, that ridiculed him, went from being mockers of Jesus to followers of Jesus. Incredible. And so Peter says, look, the first step you need to take is to follow Jesus personally. Make that decision to respond to him. But then he says there's one more step. There's one more step. And and it's it's important step two. He says you need to make sure that you participate in this body of Christ. That we call the the church. That this is a body, not a building. Right? We're inside four walls with a ceiling and a roof. It's real nice. And I'm glad we have this building. But that's not the church. The church is a body. This isn't Charles's church. This isn't Todd and Eric's church. This is our church. It's the body of Christ. We see this represented in the book of Acts. And then we see a powerful description of what that church ought to look like. And Peter goes on to tell us this. He says, all the believers, what, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, which we just did together. And to prayer, which we have the National Day of Prayer on Thursday. Join us for that. And the deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property, their possessions, shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper, shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. I I love this picture of what that church looked like here. And, And I'm borrowing these thoughts from another pastor, but he says as he read through these verses in Acts, he said, you know what, I see kind of four things that describe a healthy, vibrant, alive church. So let me, let me point these out and, and even test us. Is this us at the chapel? Is it, and, isn't, and don't say, is it Charles? No, 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 is it us? Because we're, we're the body. Let's look at this. He says, first of all, we have to have vibrant worship. That means he saw this church in Acts. They got together on a regular basis. They turned their gaze upward towards heaven. They praised God. They celebrated communion together. They, 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 they confessed sins with one another. They, they encouraged one another. They gave thanks to God. They remembered together. They did all of those things together. And as I thought about the chapel, I thought, you know what? This is what we would call our row environment. Right where you're sitting now. It's in that environment where we come together each week, where we sing together, where we open scripture together, where we gather together, encourage one another, love one another, serve one another. This happens in the row environment. There was vibrant worship at this church. But then this, this pastor says there's a second thing he noticed, that they had biblical nourishment at this church. That means they got together and they opened up scripture together and they shared the truth of the gospel together. They went through God's word and that shaped them to be more like Jesus together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings together. Now, as I looked at the chapel, I said, I think there's 
a couple environments we do this. Yes, the row environment here where a pastor opens the word and I hope speaks truth, speaks relevant, speaks practical ways, at least I hope we do. But then it's not just in this row environment, we see it in the circle environment, that, those times where you are together with other believers in a smaller group, where you're meeting together, encouraging one another, praying for one another, sharing with one another in a circle of close believers. And then we see this, I think, in the chair environment, I hope. That is your time alone, your personal time with God each and every single day where you spend time uh, with Him and Scripture and study so that you can continue to grow. He can guide you on the right path. And then there's this third way this pastor says, a vibrant, healthy church has loving fellowship. And you can't help but to see this in the Acts church. Because listen, they gathered with one another. They loved each one for who they were. They served one another. There was no rich or poor. Did you notice there was no rich or poor? They all shared what they had with each other. They spent time together. And I think, you know what, whether we spend this time on Sunday morning serving each other or throughout the week as you gather with other Christ followers, we too should be showing the love of Christ to those around us and those we come in contact with in tangible ways. We serve one another. We are a family. That is why we've highlighted in 20, for our Vision 2023, our first one is to build a culture of family because we are part of God's family. And guess what? Families can be a pain and families can be difficult. And the families can challenge you. Families can disagree with you. Poor decisions can sometimes be made in families. you always got the crazy uncle. There's always those things as a family. But guess what? When you're in trouble, who's there for you? Your family. When you need something, who's there to jump in? Your family. When you're celebrating something that happened, who celebrates? Your family. So crazy or not, they're your family. And guess what? We are a family of God for each other here at this place. There's one more thing, and I'm not going to spend too much time on this because Pastor Jay talked about this all last week. Word and deed outreach. That is, we go outside these walls, serve one another, love one another, tell others about Jesus. Pastor Jay gave us some opportunities and, and talked about how we do that last week. If you missed that message, you can catch it online as he shared some of those things with us. But what's interesting is as we see these four things present in this church of Acts, and I hope as we see these four things present here at the chapel, something incredible happens. Look at the result, the last verse, chapter 2. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Imagine. Imagine this church, it grew and it grew. And it's not because they had vibrant worship, although I am certain that they did. And it's not because they had amazing coffee, although I'm certain I read somewhere in here that they had to have had that too. I, it's because people's lives were being changed. And the church grew and it grew and it grew as a result of people coming to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Imagine being a place where Jesus was continually drawing people close to himself 
every single day. Imagine if this church exploded, not because we care about numbers, but because we care about life change and people making decisions to follow him. Imagine if we truly if we truly made a priority to gather each weekend to worship together, that we truly were digging into God's truth every day of the week, that we would truly love and serve each other, that we would, that we would not just come to church for ourselves, but we would play a role as part of our family together. Imagine if that was a place, if this was a place where people personally came to know Jesus Christ as their Savior incredible and we want the, to be this place we're not going to be perfect but we want this to be a place where people are coming to know Jesus and if we make mistakes I'm okay with that as long as people are coming to know Jesus and so I just want to give that opportunity this morning as we close. 